touch of God is in this place today. I know he's done marvelous things already. We'll continue to do so. God bless each one of you as you return to your seats. Thank you to all of our musicians and singers. And even before that, all the Sunday school teachers who work so hard throughout the week to make sure Sunday's prepared, and all of our production team, all of those who are with us online, we thank you for being with us today. I'm going to be fair with you to let you know I just have a simple thought, but it's going to take me a long time to get there. I hope you packed a lunch. I am going to preach for 45 minutes, which will make it almost 1230. So I will hurry the best I can. Yeah, you voted me in when I was doing 20s, so career risk here. I guess you could say, though, we're going to have a Bible study. As a matter of fact, this first portion, I'm going to go to a chapter in the New Testament, and I'm going to go verse by verse, somewhat expounding on them. And I don't want to, again, take a lot of time, but I need you to be thinking and get everybody on the same page and see what the Word is saying to us. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and these people were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. They were not as the Old Testament would say, God's chosen people. But after Jesus came and died and rose again, he tore the veil of the temple and opened it up to access to everyone. Paul is writing to people who were saved by grace, just like you and I. So we can absolutely look as if Paul, writing this letter, to the church of Hazelwood also, and we can take it that personally and that seriously. Let's begin in Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, sanctuary family, hath Jesus quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You were sinners, no hope in yourself. You were in trouble. Verse 2. Wherein in time past... In time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. Paul's saying, just remember back just a little bit ago, you lived just like the world. You were part of that culture. What they said was fun was fun. What they said was good, you thought was good. What they said was fine, you said was fine. And according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You lived and walked according to whatever this present world dictated. That's how we live. Verse 3. Among whom also we all, don't miss that word, we all had our conversation in times past. Again, not too long ago, you lived according to and in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
So what he's saying, we lived in an immoral way. There were three contributing factors here. It was the course of this world, in verse 2, our environment, the prince of the power of the air, demonic influence, and third, by the nature, by, by nature, the children of wrath, just the fallen human nature. We, ladies and gentlemen, were in a bad state. We were trapped in sin, just did what everyone else was doing, seemingly no hope. This wasn't some of us. This is where all of us were. Then the beautiful next verse, four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Oh, it was God. My father is very, very rich. He's rich in mercy and he's rich in grace and he's rich in love. That's why it doesn't matter how deep the sin you're in, he is rich enough to get you out. I don't care how big the debt is, he's rich enough to pay it off. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, we had no spiritual value, no spiritual morals. We were headed for destruction. Even then, God saw something in us. Hath he quickened us together with Christ? By grace are ye saved. 6, and he hath raised us up together. Get that. Raised us up together. Oh, we love to categorize sin and say things like they were deep in sin. Fine, if you want to do that. But I want to tell you that Jesus has raised all of us up, not to different levels, not to different heights, well, if you're a really bad sinner, you only upgraded to middle class. No, Jesus raised all of us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding things, riches of his grace. I told you my daddy was rich. In his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus, he didn't have to, but because he's rich in mercy and grace and love and kindness, he did it and he raised us all up. Eight, for by grace, that unmerited favor, nothing you can do to earn this. Are ye saved through faith? And that not out of, of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Don't come bragging to me how good you've been to God. Don't come telling me that you've been raised in this and you've been perfect person all your life. I don't care how good you think you've been. I don't care how many church services you've attended. It doesn't matter who you know and what your family has done. You still needed grace. You still had to have Jesus. You were still in sin. You still needed lifted out of the pit of the miry clay. And it was done because of his grace. To solidify that, listen to what Paul says in the very next verse. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You didn't even do this. You couldn't do this. You couldn't forgive your own sins. You couldn't pay the price for your sins. Jesus did it for you. 
to our great elders, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for remaining faithful and steadfast. You are a wonderful example to all of us. But you needed grace. It was Jesus who lifted you up. It was Jesus who paid the price. If you've been saved six days or 60 years, it is still Jesus that did the work. Jesus that did the saving. Jesus that did the picking up. Jesus that raised us up together into heavenly places. Ten, for we are his workmanship. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works made a new creation in Christ. Remember that old things passed away. Everything's become new. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a purpose for us. God has a plan for every one of you. We weren't walking the right way, but because of his rich grace and mercy and love and kindness, he saved us. He made us a new creation. He's lifted us up together into heavenly places. So now we can fulfill our purpose in Christ Jesus. Not so we can boast, so that he can be, get the glory. The kingdom can advance and God's will can be fulfilled. Verse 11, wherefore, remember. Don't you ever forget where you came from. That ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh. In the Old Testament, those in covenant were circumcised in the flesh. And Paul said, you weren't a part of that. Who are called, they even called you some names, uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In time past, those who were in the covenant looked down on you. They may have even snubbed their nose a little bit at you and called you a name or two. Paul says, do you remember all of that? Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ. You were walking after the flesh. You were fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You were without God. You were in darkness. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't born in this. You don't have a right to this lineage. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in this world. Are you getting this picture? Paul was telling this people, you were in trouble. You were an outsider. You were without God. You were a stranger. Those in covenant and inside looked down their nose at you. You were dirty. You weren't good enough. You were without hope. Paul is saying, don't you dare ever forget that. 13. But now in Christ, Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh. What happened? Why do we get to be on the inside now? Why do we get to be raised together with everybody else to the same level in heavenly places? How are we now in covenant with God? All of this because he shed his blood. It's the blood of Christ. He took my place and he bore my shame. He paid my debt. 
He gave the ultimate sacrifice when I didn't even know him, when I didn't even know I needed him or wanted him while I was still walking after the flesh, doing my own things, ignoring God. He still came and took my place on Calvary and paid my debt for me. 14, for he is our peace. Going from no hope to not only having hope, but such peace about it, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's made us one. Broken down any barriers between us. Raised in church or not raised in church. He broke down the barrier. Your daddy and grandma are preachers or your mama and grandpa are drug dealers. He broke down the barrier. He has lifted us up. No one is better than anyone else. It's the blood of Jesus that covers every sin. The church has made us one. Broke down any barriers. Let's go to another book real quick, right? Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For ye are all the children of God. How many of you? All of you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither then no Jew nor Greek. There's not bond or free. There's not even male or female. For ye are one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. Rich or poor, he broke the barrier. Ten talent person or one talent person, he broke the barrier. Black or white, he broke the barrier. Hispanic or Asian, he broke the barrier. Citizen or immigrant, he broke the barrier. Male or female, he broke the barrier. GED or PhD, he broke the barrier. White collar, Messiah. White collar or blue collar worker, he broke the barrier. Raised in church or raised in prostitution, he broke the barrier. Somebody rejoice. He did it for everybody. Hallelujah. Come on, we're only about halfway through. 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making Peace. Jesus did all this on the cross. He broke down every difference. Instead of Jews and Gentiles, two different groups, he made one group, no differences, no barriers. 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. 
Now we are all reconciled to God again because of that cross. Because of that, Jesus destroyed the hostility, the looking down on each other, the thinking someone better than someone else. He did away with all of that. We are all lifted together. We are all the same in Jesus. 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Jesus came and showed the way to both the Gentile and the Jews. Both needed him. Both needed a new start. Both needed forgiveness. Both needed the shed blood on Calvary. 18, for through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Because he paid our debt on the cross, everyone, everybody can come to God. Everybody has access to Jesus. 19, now therefore, you see therefore, see what it's there for. Because of all this stuff we've talked about, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of God. You are fellow citizens now with him. You have full citizenship in God's kingdom. The power of the Holy Ghost that works through someone who had it for 50 years is the same Holy Ghost that works in you if you've had it for five minutes. You belong to God. You don't have to wait. You are part of his family. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. He has lifted us up all together. 20. And this just isn't some fly-by-night thing. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, <laughs> being the chief cornerstone. This is a strong church. This is a strong family. You don't have to wait and pay a price. You're part of the church. You're allowed to sit with God's family in heavenly places. You belong to the church. <laughs> 21, in whom all the building fitly Framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. All the building, everyone fitly framed together. Not only are you welcome and apart and invited, we desperately need you. You are a piece that makes us better and complete. We are fitly framed together and growing together to be more like Jesus. Last verse, 22. In whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. All of you who were afar off, you who were in sin, you who were Gentiles, you who were not in covenant, now you're part of the church, part of the 
building, part of the body that houses the presence of God. What a chapter. There's no big eyes and little U's in the church. It's because our Father is rich in grace and mercy and love and kindness. Don't pat yourself on the back. You didn't do any of this. It was all about Him. And that's why this church praises Him. Ooh, I even got a cool rag today. I got this one soaked down. Thank you. Let me talk about a parable Jesus told. I think this will help solidify this even more. Matthew tells us in this account, it goes something like this. As Jesus often did before a parable, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. He was going to use something in the natural to help us understand something in the spiritual or in the heavenlies. Jesus said... The kingdom of heaven is likened to a guy who owned a big piece of property. On that property was a vineyard. The guy went out early in the morning to hire some workers to work in his vineyard. He found some workers, and they agreed on the set-upon price. He said, I'll, I'll pay you an entire daily wage, which they said was fair. They went out, and they, they clocked in at 6 o'clock in the morning, and the foreman put them to work in this big vineyard. Then while all these people were working, the landowner, he, he needed something in town, and he went back at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and he was walking through the marketplace, and he saw some people just standing around doing nothing. He talked with them. He told them, hey, I'll make it right at the end of the day. I just need some help. Go out in my vineyard, would you, and start working. And so they clocked in at 9 o'clock. At noon, I guess the landowner wanted some McDonald's. He went into town, saw some people standing around and said, Go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what's right when the day's over. So those people went and, and, and started working, clocking in at noon. He went to, doesn't sound like he wants to work. He went to town again at three, found more people, said the same thing. That group went out, clocked in at three o'clock. One more time, this landowner, he happened to go into town at five o'clock. Saw some people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they said, because no one's hired us. The landowner said, well, I just did go out to my vineyard, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire you, and the foreman will put you to work. They clocked in at 5 o'clock. It was evening. The landowner, the bell rang for everybody to come in from the field. The landowner told the foreman to get all the workers. It's quitting time. The workday is done. Then the landowner gave his manager some specific instructions he said, you need to pay everyone. He said, I want you to start with those I hired at 5 o'clock. They worked one hour. I want you to pay them first. So those that came up at 5 o'clock, and then those who paid up at 3, then 5, 6, on and on and on, on, until noon and 9, they, they, and 6 in the morning, and he worked them. And finally, those who came up, and he gave those he hired at 5 o'clock in the evening. They had worked one hour. And he gave them an entire day's wage. I'd like to work one hour and get paid for 12. But those who came at three got a day's wage and noon got a day's wage and accomplished a whole lot. Those that came at six o'clock in the morning, they were there all day long. They accomplished a whole lot. 
being very productive. They were there when the battles were strong and the heat was hot and fierce. But they kept on working. 12 hours worth of work. When that foreman pulled out that money bag and handed it to those who had worked only an hour and gave them a full day's worth of wages, those who had worked 12 hours lit up. If someone worked an hour and got paid for 12 hours, we work 12. Can you imagine what we're going to get paid? But when that foreman wrote them their paycheck, it was the exact amount as everyone else. Everyone got the same paycheck. Everyone received a day's wage. Wait! We got here at 6 in the morning and we put in 11 hours more than those guys. The Bible said they went on strike. They all started protesting. They went to the owner. You've got to be kidding us. Those people worked an hour and you wrote them the same check as you wrote me? The landowner looked at them. How have I been unfair? Wasn't that our agreement? Is that not what you said at the marketplace, that you'll work for a day's wage? He said, and that's exactly what I paid you. Take your money and go. He said, it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want to do with it. If I want to pay somebody the same amount and give the same amount to everyone, I can do that. Matthew 20, 15. Is it not lawful, this man said, for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I'm good? It's my money. There's no law telling me what I can or can't do with it. Are you jealous because I want to be kind? I ask you to hear me, hear my motive, hear my tone, and know my heart. Jesus can save whoever he wants to save. Jesus can honor whoever he wants to honor. Jesus can bless whoever he wants to bless. Just because I have been raised in the church, just because I have worked and worked decades in the kingdom of God. Just because I have sacrificed and committed and stayed faithful. Just because I'm at least four generations deep in apostolic faith. Just because I have given thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to the kingdom over the years. Just because I have read my Bible through many, many times. Just because I have prayed hundreds and hundreds of hours. Just because I have preached and taught to thousands of people over, decade, over the decades. That gives me zero authority to pat myself on the back. It gives me no right to be upset because God saved them and they're already being promoted and used in the kingdom. 
By grace are ye saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of works lest we start bragging and being proud. So thank you to all who have sacrificed and work and give so that we can have a facility like this. I honor you greatly and I pray God's greatest blessings on you. But that, that does not mean ownership or being selfish or have a right or entitlement. To you who have come and you don't even know that there is such a way to give to the building front fund, this is your church too. Jesus has raised us all together. Thank you to our examples who have been serving the Lord for 60 or 70 or even 80 plus years. But those who have just started your journey, he lifts us all together in heavenly places. Do I need to talk about the prodigal son? How mad the older brother was that his younger brother got back in church and the family rejoiced? Dad had to go out and reprimand him. Your little brother could have been killed. He could have absolutely been destroyed. But he came back and is safe in daddy's house and you're mad? You're mad that he's being blessed? You're mad that God is anointing him? You're upset that he was able to share his testimony? He has scars and regrets and ongoing consequences that you don't have because you stayed faithful. And you're not going to get excited and you're going to be mad because we're excited? Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Show mercy because you need mercy. Be very careful because next time you may stumble and you're going to want someone to help you out. Luke 6.31 And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Everybody okay? Round three, here we go. Abraham and Sarah are 10 years apart. He was 100 and she was 90 when Isaac was born. <laughs> when Abraham heard that announcement that Sarah would have a son, this was his reaction. Genesis 17, 17. And Abraham fell upon his face. Oh, I'd be crying. But he laughed. And said in his heart, Can a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? We know this elderly couple did indeed have a son. Follow along here. Sarah died when she was 127. That makes Abraham 137 years old. Then we read this. Genesis 25, 1 and 2. Then again Abraham took a wife. And her name was Keturah. And Keturah bare him. Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Wouldn't you love to have toddlers at 150 years old? <laughs> but let me just say, when God fixes something, he fixes it right. 
notice. Just read between the eyelines, all you elders. Notice one of Abraham's boys was named Midian. This is where the Midianites came from. The the group of people who were descendants of Abraham, but were very, very distant cousin to the children of Israel. This group, the Midianites, were hanging out in the desert. That's where they were. That's their home. This was all happening while the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage for over 400 years. Moses was born, found in the water. Pharaoh's daughter took him, raised him in the Egyptian culture, but miraculously trained and taught by his own mom. Read the story if you don't know it. Moses grows up, sees the oppression of the Israelites. He knows these are his people. It's his kinfolk. It's his brothers. Moses watched an Egyptian horribly mistreat an Israelite man. Moses killed the Egyptian. The story gets back to the Pharaoh. Moses takes off running for his life. Went to the backside of the desert to hang out with long lost cousins for the next 40 years. Ends up getting married. He marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. Has a family, has a career. Doing well. Burning bush. God gets a hold of him. Go back to Egypt. Bring my people out of bondage. I hear them crying. They go through all the plagues. Pharaoh finally called Moses and Aaron and told them, get out. Everybody, everything, get completely out of Egypt. God had told Moses in Exodus 3 that this was going to happen. God said, also, you're going to carry out the wealth of Egypt. Not only are you going to walk out from bondage without a fight, those who enslaved you are going to hand over the entire wealth of the land without a fight. And that's what happened. The Bible tells us that the Lord gave the Israelites favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So the Egyptians just gave them anything and everything they wanted. The Israelites, indeed, without a fight, carried out the wealth of Egypt. Side note, I believe God takes good record and he sets records straight. I believe this was a paycheck for 400 years of free labor. They finally got a paycheck at the end. I know the chicken's burning. Your donut's gone. Here we go. I'm hurrying. Numbers chapter 10. Things were being prepared for the long journey to get over a million people across a wilderness to their promised land. Bugles were made. Marching orders were given. They were on their way. They were on their way to the promised land. They had to do some traveling to get there. The cloud and the fire was going to be there. Each tribe had instructions of what to do. Then let's pick up, and production team, you can just follow along as you did the other. Numbers 10, 29. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Ragiel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, and I won't get into all that. You know, study that out of why they named him different there. But. And so anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, this is Moses' in-law, whoever this Hobab was. He said, we're journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I'm going to give it to you. Come with us, and we'll do you good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. Numbers 10.30. And Hobad said unto Moses, 
nah, I'm not going to go. I'll depart to my own land and to my kindred. I'm sorry, but I need to teach here a second. We are such creatures of habit. We sometimes like the safety of what it has always been, what we're familiar with. Moses has just told Hobab, God has spoken and is going to treat us very well. As a matter of fact, even right now, we have the entire wealth of Egypt and the debt was canceled at the Red Sea because the owners were drowned. Nobody's ever coming back to get it. It is ours to keep and you can be a part of this, Hobat. And Hobab said, nah, I want to go live in tents in the desert. There are anointings and doors that will open and blessings and greater and greater things. Just come with us. Just step out of your comfort zone. God is calling you to the next level and you're trying to stay at the same level. The enemy is even called the accuser of the brethren because if he can get you messed up in your mind that you're unworthy or it's bad or it's dangerous or it's scared, he can convince you to stay right where you are and you won't have the impact you could. Come with us to the next level. Numbers 10.31, and Moses said, don't leave us. I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we're to encamp in the wilderness, you know this stuff. And thou mayest be unto us as instead of eyes. Hobab, we need you. We were raised as slaves in Egypt. That's all we have known. We don't know this desert life. You're a Midianite. This is all you know. We stayed in one place for 430 years. You know how to camp. You know where the pastures are. You know the routes to take here in the wilderness. We got the blessing. You got the vision. You've lived in what we need to get through. Hear me out. What we have, you desperately need. But what you have, we desperately need. So you need us as bad as we need you. 32, and it shall be, if you go with us, Hobab, yea, it shall be that whatever goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will do to you. Hobab, however God chooses to bless us, we're going to bless you. You didn't go through 430 years of slavery to get where we what we have and to get where we are now. But that's okay, Hobab. We still need you. And you can have access to everything we have access to. Musicians are coming. You come from a different background. But please come with us. You have a different culture. But please come with us. You come from a different family and upbringing. Please come with us. 
You may have messed up. You made mistakes. You've been doing things. You've done things you've been so ashamed of and embarrassed about. That's okay. We desperately need you. Come with us. You belong. The sanctuary is for whosoever will. You belong. We're the body of Christ. We're fitly framed together. Without you, a piece is missing. Without you, a ministry will suffer. Sure, you need what others have fought for. You need what others have sacrificed for. What others have remained faithful to, you need that. But to get to the next level and to the promises of God, we need you just as bad as you need us. You belong. Where we need to travel, you know how to do it. I've never been an alcoholic. Some of you have. We need you to show us how to travel that way and to reach them. I've never been a single parent. Some of you have and are. We need you to help us travel that way to reach them. It's been a long time since I've been a teenager. Sometimes I don't even think we have the same vocabulary. But we need you to help us go that way so we can reach them. You belong. Certain disabilities that some have, you travel that road, you understand it. You can show us how we can minister and reach. You belong. You financial brokers and those gifted in management, you belong. We need you to help us advance the kingdom in our city. You who have been wounded and abused and victimized, you belong. You get it. You understand. You know what someone may be thinking and how they're acting. You can show us how to reach them. We need you. You belong. Stand in the sanctuary if you will. All this, all this time, all this Bible study to hopefully convince you you belong. And we need you, can we sing?